Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on day one of quarantine lockdown. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure, uh, ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by David Ferguson, Chief Commercial Officer of Verse, a digital design agency. David, hello. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for coming on the program. Uh, we might as well address the elephant in the room. Uh, how has your business been affected by COVID-19? varies across a number of ways at the moment. Um, we're very lucky that we're a digital business. We're able to have a lot of the tools to send our teams to work from home. We made that decision nearly two weeks ago now. Um, but we're starting to notice from our customers and from the people we work with that it's having an impact, which will, I believe, over the coming weeks, have a bit more of an impact on us. So still in early days, but um, a growing in, a growing foot. It's interesting, actually, to think that I don't I don't know, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, whether or not workplaces would have been able to sustain this 10, 15 years ago. Certainly not, no. Um, I, I, it's something that's been, a, certainly across our industry, a bit of a growing movement around working from home and the idea that anywhere you are with a laptop can be your workplace. But mm. um, the tools online, you know, I've just come out of a Zoom meeting with the team. We had a Google Hangouts. We've had our team meetings via different uh, Slack platforms. These 10, 15 years ago just wouldn't have been an option. It would have been a lot more clunky and a lot more time-consuming. Um, it's definitely hammering my home broadband, but um, mm-hmm. we're quite, quite lucky that we're in the times we're in that we can continue working like this with what is at the moment quite minimal disruption. Now, uh, let's turn our uh, attention to leadership. Um, Long-time listeners of the show will know that I always like to start off the program by asking a very simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? To myself, personally, it's um, it's been born through much of my career, but sports, politics, the way of the world. It's somebody who's more than a manager in my eyes. Um, it's a mindset and a way of dealing, communicating and managing people that goes above and beyond, really. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? I like to think of myself as um, somebody who is, is managing plus, really. Um, you know, actually getting to know, understand, showing a bit of empathy for the team um, and working as a, as a collective, collective effort. Uh, but I also think that's something that, you know, you're constantly refining. It's not something you just get. It's something that you definitely make mistakes on and improve on over time. Now, talking about improvements over time, do you offer any sort of continuing education or mentorship for uh, your employees? We do. So uh, everybody within Burst is actively encouraged to contact and um, enroll in a mentor scheme. Um, I personally have a mentor I've been working with for about 18 months now who um, certainly helped me manage myself and further my career. And I've only recently found myself to be in a position where I could consider myself as a mentor for people, um, which is something I've started doing through LinkedIn's platform that offers that. Hmm. What's the first piece of advice that you'd offer to someone you'd start to mentor? Communication really is, is, is absolutely key. It's to focus on your communication and how your the ways of communicating with people has such a massive impact on people. Mm-hmm. Um, working and managing people through Verse for just around seven years now, 
it's you see and over time you become aware of the impact your communications have and your management and leadership style has on the teams you manage. Uh, what I'd say to them is that view every communication through the eyes of who you're communicating to and that will really start to help shape how you know your leadership style comes together. Now, when it comes to your personal leadership style, it has to have come from somewhere. It doesn't come from a, it doesn't come out of thin air. Let's take a journey back in time to your first uh, workplace when you're first starting out uh, in the world of work. Was there any particular individuals or circumstances that molded you into who you are now? Yeah, it's not a very nice thing to say, but I always find that you um, you learn from mistakes. So of course. my leadership my leadership styles really come from ways I haven't liked to have been led, ways I haven't liked to have been managed in my own experiences. In one of my first roles, uh, there was somebody who was a fantastic leader but was replaced with somebody who was definitely what I class as a more of a management leader. And their lack of care, consideration and communication really shaped how I would want to be dealt with and how I've been used as my template for what not to do when leading others. Uh, people seem to forget that uh, bad experiences are as good as good experiences for gaining uh, experience and knowledge. Um, of course, one thing that is a negative that no business can escape is uh, conflict within the workplace. Uh, people are not infallible. They certainly uh, have their ups and downs. How do you resolve this? I suppose it, it then comes down to the, the manager, the leadership channels, and, and actually the process you have in place for resolving this. Um, certainly, even within myself and within people I've managed or people I've been managed by, you've seen conflicts and how that can affect a, 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 the wider workspace. I think, the, again, it comes back to communication. It's, it's helping everyone understand each other, become you know a bit more empathetic for each other's wants, requirements, needs, and actually treating each other as you'd want to be treated. Um, that's probably the main way I've I've seen any kind of conflict come to a positive resolution. I think the worst thing was to, is to either leave it, ignore it, or just assume that it will sort itself out on its own. Mm. Um, these general these things are generally don't come from nowhere, and uh, and do need you know a good leadership uh, above to make sure that everyone works together to build a you know a healthy relationship and actually a good working relationship as well. Now, what, in your opinion, is a good, healthy working relationship? Uh, that's a really good point because actually something I've seen previously and one of my early mistakes when starting to manage and learning how I built my leadership model was really becoming too pally with people. I think it's, um, right. it's building the right level of friendship and respect between uh, managers and, uh, and followers, essentially. And you have to be able to understand where those boundaries lie. Again, you don't you don't get that from nowhere. Sadly, um, in many companies, there's not the opportunity to be taught how this relationship should come together, and it, it's something you generally learn from trial and error more than anything else. I found. Now, unfortunately, our time together is uh, is not unlimited, and we're coming to its close. Um, but before I let you go, I'd like to touch a bit on uh, what you're currently working on at Verse and how the next uh, 12 to 24 months uh, will roll out in front of you. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, so at Verse, we're, we're currently looking, we've uh, we had about six months ago a change in management, a change in leadership, actually, 
bringing in new management structure I'm, I'm looking to be part of. And for the last six months into the next 12 to 18, um, we're looking at, you know, really solidifying our offering and, and establishing what makes us, uh, especially what we do, um, working on building our existing customer relationships into um, longer term and more beneficial co-working relationships, but actually working with a lot more of our customers to help them deliver more online as well. So uh, we were at the Digital Expo last week, and from that we're looking at um, expanding customer partnerships and making the most of people's online presences. Now, unfortunately, our time has drawn to its close, but I'd like to thank you very much, David, for coming on the show. And I'd love to have you back when all this is settled. Yes, thank you very much for having me. Hopefully, uh, this goes out well and everyone uh, appreciates it. Thank you. David, thank you. That was David Ferguson, Chief Commercial Officer at Verse. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't... Um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess. There were one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with 
your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at you at the time uh when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it peter's i think probably well i was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players i did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of england and west ham and martin peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as martin's concerned i think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, well, I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. he, in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could 
uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen, so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I. At that stage, I looked like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show you. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week over the next uh, two, three months. 
And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one, which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh if that put, day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must 
realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field, surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well, he's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or? even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know, uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, 
and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great and players. You- we have some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is showed. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind single mindedness, dedication, Dedication to the job, um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not. Uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.